The Walks Around Britain podcast is sponsored by Travel, the world leader for vehicle-specific dog guards, boot dividers, boot liners, rubber mats and more. Visit travel.co.uk to check out the product range for the car you drive. On the 30th edition of the Walks Around Britain podcast, we talk to adventurer Jason Walls about what might be the legacy of lockdown for walking and the great outdoors. And wildlife storyteller Lucy McRobert talks about getting close to nature with her book 365 Days Wild. And you're very welcome to the 30th edition of the Walk Sound Button podcast. I'm Andrew White and I'm your walking guide for the next 30 or so minutes of walking and outdoor chat. As we come out of lockdown here in the UK, the various nations of the country are handling the way the lockdown is eased differently. And we've seen in England especially a huge rush of people going to beaches and nature hotspots, as well as a big increase in social media reports about litter But the flip side is that there's been a big increase in walking and cycling throughout the lockdown period. So what could the legacy of this part of 2020 be? I mulled this over with Jason Walls, founder and CEO of Aspire Adventures and a former fellow Ordnance Survey Get Outside champion. I started by asking him what he's been up to over the past few months. Well, the business I run looks at adventures and outdoor stuff, overseas expeditions. So uh, a lot of stuff that I've been doing there is really trying to formalize what's right for my business to present into the outward world. So I've had like you know, amazing ties uh, with people like Ordnance Survey and with, it, with Ellis Brigham. But really about a year, year and a half ago, I needed to start to think about, I have a, an amazing platform for adventure. I'm so passionate about the outdoors being a space where uh, I can provide a way for people to achieve whether bucket list items is the right thing or help them achieve uh, their aspirations and goals or help them provide um, an avenue for sort of gaining self-worth and improving self-esteem. So I wanted to take some time out from all of those uh, ambassadorships and all of those connections I had to really start to think about what's, how do I present my business in a way that can help more people to achieve what they want to achieve uh, in the outdoors. So I've been looking about how uh, I can provide UK-based adventures uh, and overseas adventures for people. So that's really kind of dominated quite a lot of time. And, and now we have uh, coronavirus, which has been on us for, uh, for a few months now. So I've needed to think about where I pivot some areas of my business into, into online whilst not uh, losing the essence of that the outdoors and nature and adventure and the mountains and hills and lakes and public footpaths are a great space for people to go and learn and develop and connect uh, and, and ultimately improve physical and mental well-being. Now, I think that one of the things that drew us together when we first met was our shared desire to make sure that the outdoors isn't just a place for a certain type of person. It's about trying to get more people out there and enjoying what the outdoors has to offer. Absolutely. Yeah, very much so, mate. Um, and I agree with this. So, so I grew up in a, in a council estate. Uh, the family didn't have much money. So it's back in those days, well, I'm 45 now. So back in those days, it was very much about just get on your bike and, and go into, go into the exploring of the fields and the woods and actually realizing that you don't really need huge amounts of money to go and explore something that's on your doorstep. And I don't know where and how things, you know, the, the hustle and bustle of day to day. 
and certainly the pressures at a you know you know demographic and society level are so great now that I think it's harder now for people certainly to look and say I can have the time or the cash and maybe the adventure space is still is seen as something that is an area where you can only play if you have maybe huge amounts of expendable cash but but one of the things certainly show that there is a huge amount of green space that's out there from your door there's so much that you can actually do and when you reshape actually what an adventure is it's not about those big kind of huge mountains in Alaska and, and the Himalayas well actually some of the greatest adventures that I have is from my door to a stream where there's a little waterfall and we'll just sit there and listen to the water uh, and just you know let the time go by and let my mind wander and I, I do appreciate that maybe not everyone has that on their doorstep but there's green space in not not too far from a lot of people's houses or to go and explore the streets and just to look up and see the trees in bloom and all that kind of stuff so the reshaping the thinking about what it is and then you know going out there and giving it a crack and we talked quite a lot about the brand image of walking and the outdoors and my big thing is that walking isn't just mountains and mint cake it's about trying to get out to various other places that people might be more interested about going do you think that adventure has a similar kind of brand image problem yeah, it can be. I suppose that if you look at like the big kind of outdoor names, and this is again, it's my personal view, and you see the images of people stood in remote locations and looking up at big gnarly looking mountains wearing like the big bright colours and stuff. Well, well, actually, you know what? I've been to these places. I've been to the Himalaya and I've, I've stood on big mountains. And the greatest adventures that I will have are the ones where I can just pop out at lunchtime and just go and step away from my laptop and, uh, and just go and get away from that hustle of life. So, you know, I also think that there's people go wow to these things, but they're not generally inspiring. I'm inspired by people that will find the time to go for a walk in the woods. And I love the pictures of families that are by a stream, you know, throwing sticks in and seeing who wins a kind of stick race. <laughs> you know, we, it does need to reshape the brand of the adventure space because it isn't all these huge mountains. It's the context of what's right for you within the means that you have and the time that you have and your location. You know, And the UK is just the best place for this. And that's, you know, your walks around Britain stuff. But that is perfect because it's the walk along the canal. It's the beautiful walk in the woods. It's something that is achievable within the time and the means that you have. But yeah, I, I, I agree. I look at some of these adverts and stuff that are out there about adventure. And I'm like, no, that is not it. It may be right for some people. But actually, for the 95% of people, the most wonderful adventure could be going and walking around the National Trust Lake or going walking in the woods or, you know, having an exploration to your nearest waterfall. And those are the most beautiful moments. And that's what I love seeing about the reshaping of adventure as a, almost a brand. Why do you think it is that there's seemingly so many people out there who don't like that concept, who seem to, I, I don't know, is, is it because do you think that some people want to keep the outdoors to themselves and don't really want to have this sort of democratisation of, of the outdoors? I th yeah, that's what, you know what, mate, that is a superb question. Uh, there are some challenges. In reality, where there's more people, there's more things like litter. Hmm. And, you know, and I'm not saying for it in any way, shape or form, that littering is the problem of anybody listening to this and you know but it is fundamentally an issue so i live in lumberics uh, north wales and there have been so many occasions even two days ago a beautiful area near me called the lagoons was was littered by a group of people and i don't mean like the odd bit i mean it was absolutely saturated with litter so what that does is it creates quite a lot of friction with people who are very protective of the outdoor spaces 
And then there becomes a perception issue that you know, people coming into the world aren't adventurers, are not as respectful. But the reality is that it only takes one or two people to create friction between all of these spaces. So I think that's got a lot to do with it. Uh, you know, the, out, the outdoors has got so much, for me, one of the fundamental issues will be around the littering and the disrespect of the environment from that perspective and, uh, and that really upsetting people who may be purist outdoorsers. Well, we're seeing a lot of movement, haven't we, during this COVID crisis towards getting outside and cycling and walking has yeah. been. I know it's been different in, in, in the different nations of the UK, but what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, <clears throat> I agree completely. And what I really hope is that there's a complete reshaping of people's thinking with regards to quality of life. Uh, what I'm seeing is that there are more families that are they're being forced to work from home. This home life is being they're being told that the kids have to homeschool and the parents work from home in whatever shape that takes. So to be able to create some outside of the home, sat there in front of the laptop uh, on a Zoom call to people, they're actually realizing that it is quick and easy to make a step outside the door and go and see nature. And then you go out once for 10 minutes. It's such great fun. Then you start looking around for you know fun games. And then you take that fun game out to the woods and whatever that shape that takes. And then it becomes... 50 minutes and it becomes an hour and a half and that is beautiful and I really hope that as we move to it whether people like the phrase new normal or not I don't I don't know but there will be some reshaping and whether people want to enforce that new normal because they realize that outdoor time with the family seeing the kids enjoying that space thinking laterally around exploration making some fun games of it is actually a pretty damn amazing. And just imagine if quality of life changes so much, you spend more time working from home, more time with the family, your mental well-being improves, your physical well-being improves, and you just have a whole happier life. And it could be centralized around the outdoors and going for walks and exploration and adventures with the family. How beautiful would that be? If you want to find out more about what you do, where can we do that? I'm pretty active on, on all the platforms, uh, on Twitter, at Jason Rules, on Instagram, at Jason R. Rules, uh, Facebook. Uh, so, you know, come find me. Come, but most importantly, I'd love people to share with me what they're doing so I can see it, because I find these things incredibly inspirational and incredibly energizing. So come find me on platforms. Uh, you'll find me on the internet. You'll find me on the website. But, yeah, come find me and let me know what you're doing, because I would love to see it. Come, come and energize me and let's inspire each other. Jason, thank you for coming on our podcast today. Oh, no worries, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. The Walks Around Britain podcast is brought to you by Travel, the world-leading manufacturer and retailer of vehicle-specific dog guards, boot dividers, boot liners, rubber mats, and more. Adding travel products enables you to get out and enjoy walking adventures with friends, family, and dogs, so that everybody enjoys the journey. Travel offers the best fit guarantee of any brand when purchasing direct through their website, or your money back. Visit travel.co.uk to see the product range available for the car you drive. Every year, the month of June sees a big campaign from the wildlife trusts in the UK, Alderney and the Isle of Man called 30 Days Wild, with a view to connecting people to nature. 2020's event has of course been held under Covid-19 lockdown restrictions, 
but many people and families were engaged with it to discover a bit of nature every single day. Someone who's gone a little bit further than 30 days is Lucy McRobert. Lucy is a, well, I'll let her introduce herself. My name is Lucy McRobert and I am a self-styled wildlife storyteller. Uh, this means that I'm a nature lover, uh, I'm a nature conservationist, I'm a champion of all things wild and all things wildlife. And uh, recently I have taken to writing stories about nature and about the environment. So my first book, 365 Days Wild, came out last year with William Collins and it's 365 individual random acts of wildness that you can do anywhere in the UK, no matter who you are, no matter how engaged with wildlife you are already, doesn't matter if you've got a garden, doesn't matter if you're looking at wildlife on your street, it's really entry level and everything that I do is designed to connect more people with the world around them, with the wildlife around them and hopefully turn them into wildlife champions as well. At the moment we're talking to you in the 30 Days Wild campaign in June and you've gone several days more than that <laughs> in your book. What, yes, what's, I, I mean, I think there is this big problem with, with the access of, of nature at the moment, isn't there? I think what coronavirus and lockdown has shown us is a, in some ways, is a very marvellous story. What I've seen a lot of on social media and within my own connections is people really turning to nature as a source of comfort, a source of continuity. People have been inspired by the seasons far more. They've got up earlier to listen to birdsong. They've noticed wildflowers growing on their streets or in their gardens more. So on the one hand, I think it's been a really wonderful connection time where people have had the time and the space to make room for nature in their own lives again. And they've remembered all the good things that nature brings to them. On the other side of that, for people who are hardcore naturalists, people who are used to going out in nature, people who are used to going on big adventures and exploring, we found a lot of our wild spaces have actually been cut off to us. And if you're into climbing or if you're into hiking or walking or cycling or bird watching or whatever it is, it's been quite confining on the other hand. And we've had to make do with wild experiences much closer to home, watching birds in our gardens, going on walks in our local area. And again, that's a double edged sword. I think for some people, it's been very confining and they're really making the most now of being able to come out of lockdown and go back to exploring places slightly further afield. But I think it has also been a great journey for lots of us as we have explored nature much closer to home and we've learned to celebrate the everydayness of some of those wildlife experiences. Also, the interesting thing is the reduction in traffic noise. And the traffic around us has also led us to appreciate what we can hear. Absolutely. We went through a stage in lockdown in our village where we could go all day without hearing a car. We live quite close to East Midlands Airport and it was quite exciting if you saw an aeroplane once every three or four days. It was like, oh, there's one now. We've not seen one of those for a while. And that, yeah. shil that lack of background noise led to an increased level of birdsong. We could hear birds far more easily, uh, whether that was early in the morning, whether it was evensong, or even just throughout the day. We had a lovely experience with lots of bees and buzzing insects in my garden. And uh, my little girl, who's 20 months old, learned how to make a bee noise, which was very entertaining because she didn't stop doing it for an entire day. It got a little <laughs> bit irritating, <laughs> but it was very sweet. And I think lots of people have woken up to this soundtrack of the natural world and they're tuning in. I've seen so much stuff on birdsong recently with people suddenly trying to identify robins and dunnocks and blackbirds and song thrushes and even people like trying to identify things like nightingales 
and black caps and garden warblers, which are a bit more tricky. But it's really lovely that suddenly we're tuning into all of this in a slightly different way than we did before. And it's because we've got the audio space to do that. And also because we've got the time to do that. We don't all feel so rushed off our feet anymore that we've actually got the space to reflect, relax, meditate even and take it all in in a multi-century way. When you talk about connecting to our local spaces, lots of our local spaces are the woodlands and the parks that perhaps get overlooked by most walkers and by many people from the point of view of actually enjoying those spaces. And then that's what we've discovered. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Uh, I think I've seen a lot more people recently, all social distancing, of course, but uh, on local footpaths, exploring local areas, whether that's walking up and down uh, bits of the Grantham Canal that they may never have been up and down. Uh, There's loads of public footpaths around me. I live in rural Leicestershire. There's loads of public footpaths. And I think people have been using those far more because they've not been able to go to the country parks and the big open spaces as much. They've not been able to go to the stately homes and other areas like that around us. They've been making the most of the little pockets of wildness. And I've seen so many neighbours who've said, oh, I didn't know that that footpath existed or I've never been to that area before. And there's been kids on our street who've almost gone back to a sort of 1950s style existence where they've been heading off in the morning with a pat lunch, a backpack, (laughs) and they're just going exploring because it's been safe to do so. Yeah, absolutely. They've been going a bit feral and it's wonderful because they've been heading off with their brothers and sisters, kind of famous five-like, pat lunches, and they've been able to go out locally, explore in a completely safe way. And because the weather's been glorious, they've had a great time. And all those little wild experiences are really adding up for them. And I hope this is now going to be a generation of kids that are really connected to wildlife because their parents haven't just let them sit on games all the time. They've actually kicked them off outside and said, go have fun and explore. And that's just marvellous. I'm really hopeful that the legacy of this lockdown will be an increase in walking, an increase in cycling and an increase in connection to nature, which we've had a big problem with with children over the last 20, 30, 40 years. Haven't we? Mm-hmm, absolutely. There's been some quite distressing stories have come out straight away after lockdown, where I think quite a few of our local green spaces have been slightly abused. I don't think that has necessarily been intentional. I think it's because people don't realise that you can't use a nature reserve in the same way that you use a manicured country park. Um, They're not they're not suitable for footballs and scooters. They're not suitable for big groups with loud music and barbecues. Many of them have been damaged by fire because those areas are far too dry to have barbecues burning at the moment. And I think it's actually just symptomatic of a, a lack of connection that a lot of people actually have with nature. They just don't know how to use these spaces. They don't know what's appropriate, what's acceptable. But I don't blame them necessarily for that. I think that's a wider societal issue that we can all play a part in, in helping people make the most of these green spaces responsibly, safely and in a way that's good for nature, whilst also giving everybody access to the outdoors. I firmly believe we have a big problem in this country with believing that green spaces and the outdoors are for a chosen few. And we need to make green spaces accessible and safe to people from all social backgrounds, from all ethnicities, to young, to old, to everybody. And we can only do that by working together kind of as a conservation movement that celebrates green spaces and is better at communicating how to use them. 
I agree. And I also think that we've got problems from the side of the outdoor industry and the trade bodies and bodies general, because they seem to be painting this picture of a certain type of people going walking, going cycling, going into the outdoors, which excludes a lot of people. Absolutely. I think it's self-perpetuating. I think too much we buy into narratives that exist and we don't challenge them. So we say, well, this is the kind of person I've seen on a nature reserve. So that must be the only kind of person that wants to use it. And we don't make any effort to break out beyond our own boundaries and actually say, well, who else could this space be used for? How does that person want to connect with nature? How do I make them feel safe? And when you get into cultural debates, you realise there are lots of barriers for people to access nature and access the great outdoors. Um, there are so many nature reserves around the country, but people don't even know they're there. So they gravitate to the more, the more built up areas, uh, the more manicured areas, and they don't get those really wild experiences with wild animals, uh, with plants, with trees, that multi-sensory experience of hugging a tree or getting soaked in the rain, uh, because we're all a bit bubble wrapped, really. And I would love to see uh, our outdoor bodies putting far more effort into diversifying uh, the way that they talk to people uh, and using language, for example, that isn't totally prohibitive. Uh, mm. I think whenever you look at like even the countryside code, it's just a big long list of things you can't do. And then we what wonder why people. I know what can you do? You sit, sit still with your arms folded and don't touch anything. And <laughs> then we wonder why people don't want to go outdoors. And it's because we don't celebrate nature. We kind of bubble wrap it and say, don't touch it don't do anything i've just done it then by saying please don't use barbecues in our nature reserves but i think we need to focus more on what you can get out of a nature reserve and i think we need to diversify the images we use i think we need to look at the television programs and how they represent different people using the great outdoors and i think we need to do more to promote diverse voices i am a young-ish person i'm below the age of 30 and there's a big perception that young people don't want to go outdoors and I think that's completely false. I am seeing this great generation coming through, this enormous environmental movement values the great outdoors so much. They care about climate change. They care about green spaces. They care about access to nature. They understand the health and well-being benefits. So that's just one common misconception I think we can overthrow straight away. And I think if you apply that to lots of different groups of people, we can do something really positive where everybody has access to wildlife and green spaces and everyone gets the benefits. The challenge is also is that we categorise certain areas as the best areas to go to, haven't we? Because obviously we've got the 15 national parks in England, Scotland and Wales, mm -hmm. and they are the honeypot areas. And then we get rather dismayed when everybody wants to go to them all at once. Yeah. And yet there are lots of other places like the AONBs and like nature reserves with a bit more understanding and a bit more awareness, people might be more interested in going. Absolutely. I think Wildlife Trust Nature Reserves are one resource that's always completely overlooked. There's well over 2000 Wildlife Trust Nature Reserves all around the UK. And in England, I think it's something like you're never more than about 10 miles from a Wildlife Trust Nature Reserve on average. It's an amazing figure, isn't it? It is. It's incredible. It, it, we're so, so often we're really close to nature and we don't even realise it. And like you say, we jump in our cars and we head off to destination hotspots, which isn't great for climate change, obviously. And actually, there's these places that we can celebrate far closer to home. 
Just as we were going into lockdown, obviously there were these huge issues with hundreds and hundreds of cars turning up at natural beauty spots, places like Snowdonia and the Peak District. And everyone panicked. Of course they did. But at the same time, it wasn't surprising. People were craving the outdoors. They were scared they were going to lose it. And the reaction of local councils quite often was to close down local green spaces even more which I just could not understand. I saw the shutting down of all of these beautiful places at the time when people needed nature most and lots of people saying, this place isn't for you. This place is for this group of people and it's not for the many. And like you say, I completely agree. I think we need to do far more promotion of places close to people's homes so that they don't have to go on a two hour trek across the country to access wildlife, to access nature. And what they might find, actually, is that our natural parks, while they are very beautiful and while some protections are in place to make them amazing, quite often they're not the most diverse places for nature at all. You can often find far more wildlife in a local urban woodland than you would do walking to the top of Snowdonia. And the interesting thing is that a lot of these places are those little sort of triangles that you get between old housing estates, a ginnel or a a snicket between one place and another that has woodland and habitats for lots and lots of creatures. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Stephen Moss has just written an, an absolutely brilliant book called The Accidental Countryside. And it's all about those little edgelands that we get around towns, around cities that connect places up, the little pockets of woodland that you didn't know existed. Uh, Like you say, the lanes, the hedgerows. And these places are absolutely vital now for wildlife because wildlife is losing a lot of the space it once had. Our farmland is very undiverse in some areas. The populations of insects that live on farmland are massively declining. So actually we're finding these little edgelands are far more important than we ever could have realised. Even brownfield sites are providing amazing habitat for breeding birds and breeding mammals and breeding insects. So we really should be celebrating the little spaces far more than we do, rather than just focusing on the big areas. That said, I do believe the big areas play an enormous role in exercise, in showcasing how amazing our landscape is. And I don't wish to discredit in any way, shape or form how amazing those places are. I personally love them. But I do think it's about finding a balance between places where you go on a hike for the entire day and places where you just go and take 10 minutes to yourself to reconnect with wildlife and reconnect with the local green space. And it's interesting to see how many local councils now are promoting biodiversity by not cutting grass verges and allowing wildflowers to grow. Absolutely. I mean, one of the best things that a council can do for wildlife is to stop mowing verges. Please stop (laughs) mowing the verges. Um, I understand that you need to take off a couple of feet right next to the road so that people can safely drive down a road and see where they're going. I don't wish to put people's safety at risk. But councils spend a huge amount of money to cut down hugely diverse areas of native grassland. And those places are harbouring mammals, they're harbouring birds, they're harbouring insects. And when those places go, we always assume that wildlife's got somewhere else to go and it's not our problem. But where is that wildlife meant to go if you've just mown a mile long stretch of grass verge? There's nowhere else for it to go. The only other place for it to go is a housing estate or a road. That was the corridor. And we get the same with woodlands and we get the same with margins around fields. I really think we need to make far more of those areas. 
And a big thing that councils can do is just stop putting the budget there. Just leave them be. They'll be fine. If you're going to plant seeds, plant native wildflower seeds where you can. It's not all about aesthetics. You can plant different kinds of flowers that will flower at different times of year. That kind of behaviour from councils would actually be hugely revolutionary and hugely forward thinking. And the irony is it involves doing absolutely nothing at all. (laughs) And isn't that marvellous? We can all sit back, put our feet up and not do anything and wildlife will just sort itself out. And I think that's what we've been finding over these last couple of months, isn't it? That wildlife finds a new level. Yes, uh, I think wildlife is often far more resilient than we think it is. It is damaged by constant wearing down of bad practices where we make things worse, where we keep introducing more and more pesticides, where we keep introducing more and more tarmac, where we keep using bad farming practices. What we need is to step back, let wildlife find a way and work with what we've got in a really celebratory way. There's starlings nesting all up and down our street and they're all nesting in the houses. They're not nesting in the trees, they're not nesting in the bushes, they're nesting in the eaves of the houses. And I think that's marvellous because I think wildlife does find a way. We just have to tolerate it sometimes. You see lots of horrible stories where people can't tolerate birds pooing on their cars or uh, they can't bear the, the sound of pigeons nesting outside in trees. And we all just have to make a little bit of space for wildlife in reality. Uh, Sometimes we have to accept there's bits of it that we might not like. But from the wildlife perspective, there's a lot about us that they don't like and they have to put up with us all the time. Um, So I think about making space in your own mind in looking at the bigger picture of wildlife in your area and doing what you can to accommodate it, whether that's actively encouraging it in uh, your garden whether it's leaving a section of your grass unmown again put the lawnmower down put your feet up it's fine no one actually cares if your grass is long it's a marvelous thing everyone has this mindset that we need to have short grass and I don't understand why Um, (laughs) put your feet up let wildlife find a way and you'll end up with this really diverse beautiful garden that's full of diverse beautiful insects that bring in diverse beautiful birds and mammals and that's what everybody ultimately wants they want to be close to nature And I think we can celebrate that as something marvellous, something very British about it as well. I think we all feel this connection to nature innately and we should do more to promote that. If you've got uh, children who aren't that interested in getting out into nature, what, what sort of things can we do to encourage them? As I was growing up in my 20s and I was working in conservation, I found it was really easy to lecture parents on what they should do and why they should turn their kids playstations off and go outside what I've learned from experience is that you have to lead by example so you can't just put your kids outside whilst you sit inside with your feet up watching Netflix because they're going to copy you they're going to copy your behaviors they're going to copy your values if you want your kids to go outside and experience nature you have to start that adventure with them it might be that they go off and end up doing it on their own it might be that they do go a bit famous five Uh, which would be marvellous, obviously. But I think we need to go outside together as families to start with. And that can be on little adventures, going on little walks, going on bear hunts is a very favourite one uh, with lots of kids at the moment um, going on a bear hunt. Um, Making the most of doing little things like jumping in puddles, climbing trees. And a big barrier for parents is that they're so scared that their kids are going to ask them questions that they can't answer. 
And parents need to be reassured that these are questions that puzzle some of the best scientific minds in the country. <laughs> and we don't know the answers to them and they don't have to know the answers to the little girl who lived next door to us um, asked a very sweet question a few weeks ago and her mum came running to the garden wall and shouting to us and she said, Mummy, when birds are singing, do they get sore throats? What a great question. What a great question. She's only three. And we were all stumped. We had no idea. And then we kind of thought it through and thought, no, birds don't get sore throats. But it was OK that she asked that question and it was OK that her mum didn't know the answer because yes. it's not you don't have to know the answer to everything. You don't have to know why a ladybird has got its spots. You don't have to know how birds fly or why they sing. Uh, you can go home and you can look those answers up on the internet when you get back. And that's actually a really good way to learn as a family is to go for a walk, ask lots of questions, write them all down. And then when you get back, you've got a mini project where you can all sit on your phones and your iPads and you can look up the answers to those questions. And it's actually a really fun thing to do as a family because you all learn together. Uh, if you're homeschooling at the moment, you're teaching your kids something as well. And they will be caught by your enthusiasm and your thirst for knowledge. And it encourages them to ask more questions. How can we find out more about what you do, Lucy? <laughs> so uh, my book, 365 Days Wild, is available in lots of independent bookshops and on Amazon and Waterstones, places like that. I have a website, 365dayswild.com, and I would encourage everybody to check out the Wildlife Trust's 30 Days Wild campaign. It's a really exciting opportunity to connect with wildlife, especially if you've never done it before. By all means, please feel free to look me up on social media. I love getting questions from people and helping people to discover their own wild lives. So there's lots of opportunities out there to connect with nature and to make the most of a really diverse, fun and proactive nature community that exists online as well. Lucy, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Links to Lucy's book can be found in the description for this edition of the podcast and also on the Walks Around Britain website. And if you're inspired to go for a walk in a nature reserve, we've done quite a few on the Walks Around Britain television series. Danes Hill Lakes, Flamborough Head and Pennington Flash come to mind straight away. And you'll find walking routes on our website, walksaroundbritain.co.uk and full editions of the television series on Amazon Prime, on demand on Planet Knowledge on Freeview and of course on Walks Around Britain Plus, which is a little bit like Netflix, but for walking. You can get a seven-day free trial and 50% off a subscription for you or as a gift by visiting our website. Well, that's it for another podcast. If you'd like to suggest a topic or want to comment on anything, then by all means, email us at podcast at walksaroundbutton.co.uk. And don't forget to follow us on social media. You'll find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest and YouTube. Until next time, thanks for listening and happy walking. The Walks Around Britain podcast is sponsored by Travel, the world leader for vehicle-specific dog guards, boot dividers, boot liners, rubber mats and more. Visit travel.co.uk to check out the product range for the car you drive.